When I got there, they had me park my old truck in the corral. You mean the parking lot, interrupted Charlie, a more worldly fellow. I walked up the trail to the door, he continued. The sidewalk to the door, Charlie said. Inside the door, I met this dude, Joe went on. That would be an usher, Charlie explained. Well, the usher led me down this chute, Joe said. You mean the aisle, Charlie said. Then they led me to a, a stall and told me to sit there, Joe continued. A pew, Charlie Yep, Mr. All Joe, that's that's what that pretty lady said when I sat down beside her. Pew. Well, okay, one more. I didn't get much of a laugh on that one, Joe. Mildred, the church gossip, the self-appointed arbiter of the church's morals, kept sticking her nose in other members' private lives. And church members were unappreciative of her activities, but feared her enough to maintain the silence. She made a mistake, however, when she accused George, a new member, of being an alcoholic after she saw a pickup truck parked in front of the town's only bar one afternoon. She commented to George and others that everyone seeing it there would know what he was doing. George, a man of few words, stared at her for a moment Later that evening, George quietly parked his pickup truck in front of Mildred's house and left it there all night long. talk to you today about every Christian's decision. And I believe this. I believe that every we are being put in a position and place today where we're going to have to make a decision. It'll be a decision, I guarantee you, it won't happen in here. It'll happen out either on your job, it'll happen on the street, it'll happen in the work, whatever, wherever you are. But you and I are going to have to make a decision. That decision you're going to make may make some people mad. May make some people mad. So let me read this to you. Because here's what it says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. Verse 17 says, Therefore, come out from among them and be separate, says the Lord. Do not touch what the the unclean, do not touch what is unclean, and I will receive you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be my son and my daughter, says the Lord Almighty. Come out from among them and be separate. If we want to enjoy God's presence, then that's going to require some personal holiness. I want you to understand something. When God says, come out from among them and be ye separate, He's not necessarily talking about the world. Because Paul addresses this over in the book of Corinthians. He addresses that 
when he says that in order for us to be separate in this way, he would have to take us out of the world. So he's not talking about he's not talking about people of the world that have never come to Jesus. They're living out in the world. He's not talking about separating us from us. Because if we do that, then how do we win them to the Lord? But he goes on to say that he is talking about those people who claim the name of Jesus, but live in opposition to that. Who say one thing, but they do another. He's saying to us that those people who say they love Jesus are following Jesus, but then they go with the way of the world. So I believe with all my heart and soul, the Lord is telling us today to come out from among them and be separate. In verse 17, Paul writes to the Christians at Corinth to come out from among them. And then in verse 18, he tells us the result if we will take a stand and not conform to this world that God says that He would be a Father to us because we take that stand. The Amplified Bible says of what it means to conform, don't be conformed to this age or fashion after or adapted to its external or superficial customs. In other words, don't make your decisions on how you live or how you're going to raise your children based on anything else but the Word of God. The Word of God. And not the precepts and the ideas of the world. I believe that we're in a time that we stand at the crossroads here in America today. I, I really believe that. Jesus told us how we are to live. And He told us this over in Matthew 4.4. 4. He said to us, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. That's what He tells us. How do I make my decisions? What does the Word of God say about it? What, what, how, do I, how do I raise my children? What does the Word of God say about it? How do I, I love my wife? What does the Word of God say about it? How do I love my husband? By the Word of God say what if, what if somebody sins against me? How, what does the Word of God say about it? What about business deals? What does the Word of God say about it? Should I, should I have business deals with somebody that is an unbeliever? What does the Word of God say about it? That's what it says. If I'm attending a church where the Word of God is not being preached, and the whole gospel is not being preached, what does the Word of God say to me? That's how we are to live. By the Word of God. We are to be saturated in our very being with the Word of God into a place that it's just part of us, as Jesus said. Thus, our opinions are to be formed by the Word of God. We're not to allow CNN, YouTube, Google, or whatever else it is out there to form our opinions. Our opinions are to be formed by what thus saith the Lord. That's how our opinion is. For instance, did God create this world in seven days? I believe He did. How do we feel about living together before we're married? What do, you, what do you think about abortion? What does the Word of God say about it? What, what about the, the gay lifestyle? Or more, uh, more than, uh, is there more than one sex? What does the Word of God say about it? You see, somewhere along the line, we got the idea, I'm going to come to Jesus 
and then I'm just going to take the Word of God, and I'm going to take it, and I'm going to put it aside, and now, boy, I'm really going to try to live for Jesus. It doesn't work that way. I have to know, thus saith the Lord, I have to know what the Word of God says about it in order for me to make any kind of decision or anything else in my life. And from those decisions, and, and you know, one of the great things about all this, all those things I just mentioned, there's just such controversies in the world that we live in. Because I'm a Christian, Jesus has set me free where I don't have to make those decisions. Those decisions have already made been made for me, so therefore all I have to do is stand on the Word of God and what Jesus has said. Well, now, Lee, what about the exclusiveness of Christianity? What about the fact that Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father and me. That's right. He said it. I did. So, well, what about the Muslims? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. What about the Buddhists? Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father and me. And you say, well, I don't understand. All. Well, maybe sometimes I don't either. But by the same token, here's the whole point. He said, I'm the door. He made that decision for me. And as a Christian, what God expects me to do is to stand on the Word of God. When a, uh, when a Christian, when a pastor, when a church decides that they're going to determine things by the way of the world rather than what the Word of God, and they quit preaching the Word of God, and, and now you go you go to church and you get uh, you get three poems in a, in a sermonette. And you go away hungry, and the Bible says there's going to come a there's going to come a day that the ovens are going to be cold, and, and the people are not going to say they're going to say that they're still hungry. That's exactly what it's talking about. The Bible talks about a narrow path, and I believe that narrow path, you know, because He says the narrow path is the path that leads to truth and not believing a lie. Jesus said that the truth will set you free. When what will a lie do? It will bring you into bondage. So many things that we're being hurt, we are here hurt by the, the the media and other things are literally leading us down a path to bondage. But the broad path that leads leads to conformity, while people think it's a path of the least resistance, I'll just go along because I don't want to make anybody mad. Is a path that leads to a time that you'll be given you'll be forced to give an answer to God about why you answered how you answered. Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28, Do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear Him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. Romans 12, 2 says, has told us this, it says, Do not be conformed to this world. Don't be conformed to this world. Or in other words, don't let the world take you and put you into their mold. Don't let the world take you and make you think how you ought to think. Don't let the world take you and make you wear clothes that they wear. Don't let the world, you know, don't let the and, and let me just say this to you. I've been for, for 28 years now, going on or 29 years. Cricket and I've been married. Every year I'd go and I would buy her buy her her Christmas presents, and I would take one day and I would shop 
And I want to tell you, in those 28, 29 years, I've noticed about fashions how they've changed. I'm serious. And I've noticed how that much of the stuff that we see on the on the rack today or whatever, and I go and I go to some good places and I try to buy our good stuff or whatever. But I've noticed that a lot of it it looks like the house caught on fire, and and we had to grab the first thing and run out of the house. I'm serious. Why is that? Because the world is molding those things. We're being conformed into something. And we don't need to do that. You know, we, we got our finger up in the air, and, and now politicians have to have to make decisions based upon not what's right or what's best for the country. They make what the latest polls they say. And who knows who, where those polls are coming from or who they're even asking those. So he tells us not to be conformed to this world. Don't allow the world to put you in a mold. And then he tells us what to do. He says, be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might be able to prove what is a good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. In other words, be so transformed that the Word of God literally saturates your very being. The Word of God is the fuel of the Holy Spirit. And the more I take in of the Word of God, when I'm making decisions, when I'm thinking about something, when I've got to do something, I'm telling you what will happen is this. The, the Holy Spirit will take that Word and He'll resurrect it inside me. And I don't believe there is a single situation anywhere or any trouble I might have to go through that there is not a verse of Scripture that will apply to that. But the, so many of us who don't spend time in the Word, the Holy Spirit has no fuel to bring up to us. So the more I study the Word, the more I read the Word, you know, just like, like Revelation says, he who reads it will be blessed. And, and so as you, as you read the Word and the Holy Spirit brings it up, you're going to know He's going to bring things to your mind that you're going to know what to do in those situations. You've got to be saturated by the Word of God. But listen, at the last part, that we might be able to prove what is a good, acceptable, and perfect Will God, would a person not want what God's will is for your life? Would you not want that? Would you want, want to know His plan for you? Would you not want to know His plan for your family? Then He says, then he says if you do, then saturate your life with the Word of God, and the result, you will know what God wants for you and your family. Listen, our forefathers in this country were great men, and I don't care what anybody else says, they were great men and they were religious men. They were men of faith. When I read people like George Washington, Thomas Jefferson, John Adams, Benjamin Franklin, and all those guys, when I, when I read about them, and, and I have, at one time I sat down and I remember reading letters that John Adams had written and Thomas Jefferson had written to George Washington. And all those letters that they had written seemed to have one common thread through them. And it was this, that in order for this country, this country to exist, in order for a democracy to exist, that it had to be built upon two pillars. The two pillars, one was, the first pillar was morality. You have to have morality so that people have a desire to do things that they should know is right. And morality, 
You cannot have morality without having religion. That's what they said. And the reason being is, why? Because you cannot legislate morality. What do I mean by that? You can make all the laws you want to, but people won't do it unless there is an internal force inside them that makes them want to do, thus saith the Lord. There has to be something inside that causes them to want to love God. There has to be something inside them that has to make them want to love their brother as their self. Something inside that says you don't steal. Something inside that says you don't commit adultery. Something inside that says you don't kill somebody else. Something inside that you don't lie. It has to be, but it has to be a force, the Holy Spirit inside Lee, and they recognize that. That there has to, that people must have an internal presence of God Almighty inside that causes them to do what is right, to obey the law, to treat others the way that they would want to be treated. You cannot legalize morality. That was the problem with Rome. Rome tried to tried to legalize it, and as they tried to do that, it went farther and farther and farther into decadence. The Bible tells us that. It tells us in Romans, Romans 3.20, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. And the answer... The answer to this problem in our country that we would live moral lives that we were, that is, is religion, but it's more Christianity. And here it is. It's, it's Colossians, the last phrase in Colossians 1.27. Christ in you is the hope of glory. If we want to live quiet and peaceful lives, then it's got to be because Jesus is inside every one of us that causes us to do what's right. Legalize things all you want to. You can get ironclad contracts all you want to, and people will still do what's wrong. I believe in the last maybe years, we've had some dark days in the history of the country. And I believe that yesterday or one day this past week was one of the darker days that we've had. There was a young, I, I'm sure you've heard that we're, what Congress is trying to do right now, they're trying to pass as a bill that's called the Equality Bill. That Equality Bill basically says this, that men who think they're a woman now can basically go in the restroom of women, that your daughter who has a PE class or something can go into has to go into a uh, dressing room or whatever to change it. Some guy who now thinks today I'm a woman can go in there with her. It also has it also has with it, and I and, and I, I tried to read all this, but I couldn't. It also has implications for uh, our right to be able to worship God the way we want to. I'm telling you, if this thing passes, guys, we can almost take a fourth in this country. They're pushing it like crazy. There was a young representative from Florida that stood on the floor of the house and he actually opened up the Bible and read the Bible on the floor of the house of representatives. And he read where that, 
he read where that uh, God had said there's not multiple sexes, there's only two sexes. He read that. Then he proceeded to read a quote out of Tony Evans, pastor in um, Dallas, Texas. Cricket and I got to go to his church over there. I think we were the only white people there. But anyway, but uh, it was a great, great service. I think. But he read a quote from Tony Evans, um, great man of God, Dr. Tony Evans. He read a quote from his commentary. When he finished, they opened the floor up, and when they opened the floor up, represented Jerry Nadler, who's out of New York, stood up afterwards, right after he said this, and I quote, let me tell you what he quoted, God's will is no concern to this conversation. i read again. I'll make sure I got this exactly right. God's will is of no concern to this conversation. choice that is before us today is do we conform to this world and just go along because there's no way that you and I can do that if we're a follower of Jesus Christ. And the Word of God is our standard. There's no way we can do that. But I want you to understand, and this is why I think the Lord laid this message on my heart, there will be consequences. I believe there are three types of suffering in this world. The first type of suffering that is brought on because the curse that came upon man in creation because of man's disobedience in the garden. And what that brought on because of that disobedience, things like death and cancer and deformity and, and murder came upon all mankind. Some people say, well, okay, I don't understand why God will allow cancer to come in. I don't understand why God would allow birth defects and our, our child abuse and all this other kind of stuff that would come in. Well, the truth of the matter is, what you've got to do, you've got to take the whole book. You, get, you, you just can't cherry pick. You cannot go through it and just say, well, look what this says. Or this no, you've got to take what God said. And in the beginning, we know that when God created everything, He said that everything was good. And not only did He say that everything was good, He also went on to say everything was very good. And when He said everything was very good, He put mankind, a man and a woman, in a garden, and they lived in an absolute, total, perfect state. Nothing could go wrong. But he also gave them free will. You say, well, why in the world did he do that? Because you can, free will can only exist where there is love. God loves us so much, he gave us free will. And he had one rule, and he said, don't do that. And he did it. And all these things came in. So the first suffering that I believe is brought on because of the curse that came upon man in creation, because of man's disobedience in the garden. Sometimes things are just part of life because of that disobedience those things came. And that decision to go against the one rule that God had, we suffer because of that sin. The second kind of suffering is this, suffering that people bring upon themselves. Because of a life of sin. God warns us not to. 
but because of that life of sin, suffering comes. Our lifestyle that is contrary to the things of God, that we don't take care of ourselves and we do things, we do things, you know, uh, you know, smoking and other things, and we can't figure out how lung cancer and all this comes about. Why does that come about? Because we're living unhealthy. Whatsoever a man sows, that shall he also reap. But there, I want you this morning to understand something else. I want you to understand that there is a third type of suffering. I want you to understand that. There's a third type of suffering, and it's suffering that comes because you stand up for Jesus. We're seeing this a great deal over in other countries. In China right now, people are arrested. Pastors are taken out of their pulpit. A church tried to open in Canada this past uh, month, and they arrested the pastor behind his pulpit. It's happening. Back over in China, I know that there are people put into concentration camps, and they're using those people in those concentration camps to uh, harvest organs. Pastors disappear, and they're never heard from again. So there is a suffering that says when you do try to do what God tells you to, to stand for Jesus, you can suffer. I don't know that we're going to be beaten like they were in the early church. But there's other ways that you can suffer for the cause of Christ. In Russia, if you, if you let the, if the state knows that you're a Christian, your children cannot go to college. can't get a promotion in your job. And your children will have to go to classes that, and get this word, re-educate. In the last month, guess what we've heard on the news here lately? You have to be re-educated. Why does the suffering come? Because the world and the devil hate the things of God. But especially Think about this. They have attacked three primary things of life. What are they called? Number one is origin. Where do we come from? Your children that go to school, many places are teaching them that they came, where they come from. The Lord tells us that we came from a loving Heavenly Father who created us. The world wants us to believe that we came from a glob of nothing that was a result of some kind of explosion that became a frog that evolved into a man. Now, I think I've met some of those people. But that's what the world wants us to believe. Or think about this. They want you to believe you were an accident. Let me just say this to you. I don't care who you are. I don't care if you were born out of wedlock. I don't care if you don't even know who your mom and dad were. 
I don't care if you were a baby that one time was tried to be aborted, but you've lived through it. I don't care who you are. You were not an accident. God loved you so much, He He knew about you while you were still in your mama's womb, what the Bible says. And before you were ever born, all your life was laid out in front of Him before you were even one day old. He has a plan for every day of your life. Wherever you are, He has the hairs on your head numbered. He knows your downsetting and your uprising. He knows every detail of your life. Where can you flee from His presence? His eye watches you. about this, you know, God wants you to believe He created you and He has a plan for your life. You know, sometimes they talk about, they talk about abortion and they, they say, well, what the Scripture is, we really don't know where life begins. Read the Bible, read the 139th Psalm, He'll tell you where it is. Not only that, but God actually tells us where, where's life? Life, He says that the life is where? In the blood. No, you weren't an accident. Second purpose that they attack. The Bible teaches us that we were born to bring glory and honor to God, and through that you'll find significance and fulfillment in living. But the world wants you to believe it's all fake, that there's no rhyme or reason for your being. It's just luck or the draw of the, draw of the, the cards or whatever it are. It's Murphy's Law, what will be and what will be. The final thing is this. God has a plan for your life, by the way. plan is not to hurt, to harm you, to give you peace, to give you a future. Third thing is finally your destination. The world, of, the Word of God teaches us that we have a Savior who loves us so much that He died for us to pay the penalty for our sins and has now gone back to prepare a place for us to live with Him in a wonderful place called heaven where eye has not seen nor ear heard nor even entered in the heart of man what God has in store for Him. But the world teaches that when you die, you just go to the grave and the worms get you. That's it. God, then there is no judgment, then they are free to do whatever they want. Does the world hate God? Well, listen to what the Word says in John 15, 18. If the world hates you, Jesus said, you know that it hated me before it hated you. It says in James 4, 4, adulterers and adulterers, you do not know the friendship of the world is enmity with God. Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Matthew 24, 9. Then they will deliver you up in tribulation and kill you, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. John 15, 25. But this happened that the word might be fulfilled, which is written in their law. They hated me without a cause. 1 Corinthians 1, 18. For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. In the book of Acts, Peter and John are persecuted for preaching and teaching Christ. And they're beaten. The Bible says over in the fifth chapter of the book of Acts, 28 and 29, and he said, Did we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? I, I wonder if, if this is not happening in our country. 
know the armed services now, you're not, a chaplain is now no longer able to pray in the name of Jesus. Do we not strictly command you not to teach in this name? And you look and you feel Jerusalem with your doctrine and intent, bring this man's blood on us, verse 29, when, when it, it, it also says there, then they, uh, it says simply that, uh, uh, but Peter and the other apostles answered and said, we ought to obey, and here it is, we ought to obey God rather than men. I want you to think about that. God is saying to us, in this environment that we're living in today, He's telling us that we ought to obey Him and not men. He has guys up here in China this is where we are today. As we enter into a stage of persecution and resentment towards God's Word and His church. But I want you to notice what it says in verse 41. So they departed from the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy Philippians 1.29 says, For you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also for to suffer for His sake. Did you read that? For you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in Him, but also to suffer for His sake. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 4.19. Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God. Wait a minute. Let's read that again. Therefore let those who suffer according to the will of God commit their souls to Him in doing good as to a faithful Creator. Is it God's will sometimes we suffer? Yes, when we stand for Him. When we stand for Him. What we're seeing in our day are men who are backtracking on their stance where that once upon the time they stood for the Word of God and now they're caving in. There are groups who are applying pressure to eradicate anything that has to do with the Bible. This week, Max Licato backtracked a sermon he preached three years ago. He preached a sermon three years ago on biblical ideas of marriage. 
the LBGT community didn't like it, and he apologized to them and their families. They tell us that our faith should only be practiced between the walls of this church. And the Apostle Paul was telling us in 1 Corinthians 6 to come out from among them. And then chapter 7, uh, verse 1, listen to what it says, because actually verse 1 should be actually attached to chapter 6, the last part. It should actually be the last verse of chapter 6. But listen to what it says in verse 1 of chapter 7. It says this, Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and the Spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. That's what he said. It is a great example of when we take a stand for Jesus and the Word of God. But they were put in uncomfortable situations. You ever been put in an uncomfortable situation? I think that's ministry. I think if you're really doing what the Lord wants you to, that's where you live. You live in an uncomfortable situation. It never ends. And so, I want you, as I read this, remember that Paul has written a very scathing, he's written a very scathing letter to the church of And I gave you this in 2 Corinthians 5. It's not 2 Corinthians 5. It's 1 Corinthians 5, 1 and 6. But what it says over there, 1 Corinthians, no, not 2 Corinthians 5, 1 Corinthians. There you go. Thank you. It is actually, listen to what Paul says. Now he's writing to the church. He's saying it's actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and such sexual immorality as is not even named among the Gentiles. And a man has his father's wife. In other words, he's living with his stepmother. But you just want to pick some dictionary and some gravy here. And you're puffed up. He's talking to the church now. You're puffed up and have not rather mourned that he who has done this deed might be taken away from among you. See, the thing of church discipline has gone by the wayside. We don't. Why has it gone by the wayside? Because of political correctness. We don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. We'll let them go off into hell, but we don't want to hurt their feelings. For I indeed am absent in the body, but present in the Spirit, have already judged as though I'm present with Him who has done so this deed. He goes on to say, uh, in verse 4, In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, when you're gathered together along with my Spirit, with the power of the Lord Jesus Christ, verse 5, it says, Deliver such a one to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. And if you read through Corinthians, what happens is this guy repents. And he now, Paul writes to him and tells him to bring him back in the church. Please, he becomes discouraged. That's what he tells him to do. It's the most loving thing that we as Christian people can do. People say, well, we're not supposed to judge. The Bible doesn't say that. Oh, you say, well, yeah, it does. It says we're not supposed to judge. Listen, read the whole thing. And in fact, it says you are spiritual to go to that person and bring them back into the faith is what it says. If we love them, if we care about them, and they're doing something that could cost them their soul, if they're doing something that could literally lead them down a path that God's got to chastise them or, or beat them half to death, as a result of that, we're doing them a favor. The Bible says if you prove, if you refuse to discipline your children, it proves you don't love them. And that's what we're living 
When we're faced in that kind of situation some, with someone, and it may be somebody that we love that we're, we're, that is doing something contrary to what God says, the Holy Spirit begins to speak to us and say something. We must decide, to, uh, decide do I conform to the way of the world, just not go along with it, just let it go, or, or even though I know this person is in danger, or do I speak up? It's uncomfortable. Yes, and I'm continually put in those kind of situations. I never intentionally preach a message directed at anybody in this church. Let me say it again. I, intent, I never intentionally preach any message in this church that's directed at anybody. If it hits you, I can't help it. Amen? So I'm not looking at you and looking at your life. Oh, boy, I better write that one down. I'm going to give them some hellfire brimstone next Sunday. I don't do that kind of stuff. So if it hits you, then I don't, I don't know, and I don't know what half is going on, but I know there, that we've had couples come into our church many times that are living with one another, and God lays a message on my heart to preach a message that says, you need to be married. Now let me ask you something. Do you think I like that? No. I love those people. And I've had people leave the church because of it, but I can't help it. And, and it comes back to Peter when it says, what do I do? Do I obey God or do I obey men? That's the thing. And this is what Paul was wrestling with in chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. And so, do I speak up? I have no choice. So Paul speaks up. And he said, look, you've got a guy down there living with his stepmother immorally, and that's wrong. And the, and the church was not saying a word. You know, and, and here's the other thing. I'm not trying to control people, and I cannot control people. All I can do is just warn them. That's all you can do. You know, if your child decides to go out and do start doing things that they shouldn't be doing, you can't control them. After they get to be 18, 19, you can tell them, and I would tell them, that they know. You know? You say these situations are uncomfortable. I know. Peter says in Acts 5.29, also obey God rather than men. So why should we speak up? Number one, because the Lord has called us to this. Listen to what it says in Ezekiel 22, verse 30. For I saw a man, he's doing the very same thing today. I saw a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it, but I found nobody. I'm looking for somebody, he says, to get in the gap that to save those people. Does it cause anxiety for the person who's being urged by the Holy Spirit to speak up? You know it is. You know it is. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 2 and verse 4 says, Open up your heart to us. We have wronged no one. And he, he said, we've wronged, we've wronged no one. Listen, this is Paul. Listen, listen to the anguish in Paul's life. This is not an easy thing to do. We're not saying that. He said, open up your hearts to us. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have cheated no one. I do not say this to condemn. I, that's the last thing I want to do is condemn anybody. I don't have, listen, my life and people say, How, what right do you have to stand up there and preach? I only want right because Jesus put me here. I sin like everybody else. I have to ask forgiveness like everybody else. I have no choice. But Paul says, 
I, I do not say this to condemn, for I have said before to you that our hearts should die together and to live together. Great is my boldness of speech toward you. Great is my boasting on your behalf. I am filled with comfort. I am exceedingly joyful in all in all tribulation. Do you labor over those you love who are not in the ark of safety? Yes. Look at what Paul says in verse 5 and 6. For indeed, when we came to Macedonia, our bodies had no rest, but we were troubled on every side. Outside were conflicts. Inside was fear. Does that sound like, boy, you talk about a, a, a life of misery there. Nevertheless, God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. You see, Titus, Paul had sent Titus back to Corinth after he'd written a scathing letter with these people. He, he, he had sent Titus back in there, and, and they'd not heard from him. Was he all right, or had they done something to him? Were they so angry? I've heard of, you know, I know churches that they had board meetings. They had to call the police in. Titus had walked into a volatile situation. But then Titus shows up, and Paul was comforted when Titus showed up. In fact, he was overjoyed. But not just because of Titus, but also the news he brought. Because verse 7, it says, And not only by his coming, but also the consolation with which he was comforted in you, when he told us of your earnest desire, your mourning over their sin, their mourning over their sin, uh, and your zeal for me, so that I rejoice even the more. Oh, how wonderful it is when somebody's heading one direction and they come to their senses like the prodigal and says, "What am I doing?" And they come to themselves and they say, "Man, I need to, I, I need to do a 180 and go the other direction." What comfort there is in that! And so, in verse 7, he says, by the fact that this has happened, their understanding of how much Paul loved them. I don't do this because I want to hurt people or do this because I make them feel bad. No, because I love them and care for them. It's why he did what he did out of love. In verse 8, Paul says this. He says, for even I made you sorry with the letter. I made you sorry. I had to say something. I've had to go to people, look them straight in the face, and say to them what they're doing. And as a result of that, they drop their head and they look at me. And you know, and I made them sorry. I don't like that. But I do it because that's what God told me to do. Paul said as he wrestled with this at first, I regretted sending the first letter. He said, I didn't want to send this first letter, but due to your growth from it, I no longer regret it because I see the consequences in what happened. Now I rejoice over it. Paul was saying our heart may have been right, but our, we second-guessed ourselves. Do you ever second-guess yourself? Boy, I do. But I have committed to the Lord because you are afraid you'll be misunderstood, and we have forgotten about it because God sees your heart. Godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation. Not to be regretted, but the sorrow of the world produces death. To the contrary, Paul uses the word salvation here. So does that mean the Corinthians are lost again and need to be saved again? No. Salvation comes from the Greek word sotora, and it translates salvation, and it means more than simply being born again. When the Scripture talks about salvation, they spoke of a full orb of God's blessing. Not only being born again eternally, but of being saved from bondage and pain presently. What brings about this salvation? Paul says, repentance. 
there has to be repentance. Verse 11, through repentance, he talks about, doesn't say maybe. I'll get to it next year. No true repentance says that's wrong and I'm going to deal with it now with finality and certainty no matter the cost. Why should you not conform to this world but stand for Christ? Because it's the truth, guys. And look at that last phrase in verse 12 because it says, Our care for you in the sight of God may appear to you. But that our care for you... In other words, Paul is saying, I did this that you might know that we care for you in the sight of the God and that we want to do we want to do well. Sometimes people will ask me about facing their loved ones in the day of judgment. They're not saved. They're lost. But can you imagine facing your loved ones in the day of judgment and they're going to hell? And they look over at you and they know that you did not say one cotton picking word to them? You didn't say anything to them? Because you're afraid you'd upset them. You're afraid they'd get mad. Sometimes we've got to upset people. We've got to upset the apple cart in order to get people to realize where they are. truth is, when we don't speak up, we're doing exactly what Peter did out there by the fire. The cock crowed and he denied the Lord three times. That's exactly what we're doing. We're denying the Lord. And when we do that, and we won't speak up, we're saying that we're ashamed of Jesus. And we're, we're saying that in Romans 1.16, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also the Greek. That's what it says. But we're ashamed So demonstrating what we value. This is what it says on the way. I'm almost ready to take my seat. Philippians 3, 7, and 8. But what things were gained to me? See, here's the problem. Why do we not speak up? Why do we not take a stand? Here's the problem. But what things were gained to me, these have I counted lost for Christ. Verse 8. For yet indeed I also count all these lost for excellence of the knowledge of Christ. Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain them. See, this is the, look at the word rubbish there. And this, this is the New King James. Rubbish. We cleaned it up. Because the King James says, dung. I count them as dung that I may gain, that I may gain Christ. Those things, I count them as rubbish. I count them as dung. I count them, I don't value them. I value my relationship with Christ more. That's what he's saying. Why? Why is this happening? Because we have not yet figured out that we need Him more than I need anything else in my life. We need Him more than we need other things. We're afraid that if we speak up, we'll lose those other things. You say, Lee, if I do some of the things you want me to do right now, I may lose my job. God will get you another. I may lose an opportunity in business. Well, God will get you another. Find something bigger. And you know what we may? You know what we may? We may lose people. But when the Lord is everything, it doesn't matter. Will it hurt? Yes. But the Lord is your significance. You exist because of Him. Let me ask, who are you? If somebody asks you, uh, ask you uh, what 
what would be the first thing that comes to your mind? Are you a factory worker? Are you a teacher or a doctor or a lawyer, your mother, business owner, the uh, proud recipient of a Man of the Year award? I got one of those. Cricket now uses it as a takeaway. See, when the old Belmont School was tore down, I remember going there and watching Winchester Shawnee play. High school. Great school. But then when the two schools came together, then it all became Clark County Schools. But when, I remember when Winchester Shawnees were playing. I remember that. And, and when they got ready to tear it, but then it became, and part of that, and it became a junior high, became Belmont. But when they got ready to tear that school down, they went down in the basement, and down in the basement they found all these trophies. I mean, I'm talking about hundreds of trophies down in the basement. And all these trophies, they all had dust on them. They were tarnished and everything. At one time, boy, people were raising those up and saying, look, we did this, we did this. Hundreds of them down there. And now all they are is just garbage. And I looked at that and I thought to myself, brother, that's exactly what today's going to be like. A lot of the things that we thought, boy, just absolutely unbelievable, those things are going to be nothing but garbage. I count it as done. I count it as done. Standing up for the Lord is not easy. But Paul, writing to his wives and husbands who were married to the husbands and the wives, you're married to a man that's not saved. And you're married to a woman that's not saved. Listen to what he says on 1 Corinthians 7, 16. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? But it will never happen if you never speak up. It will never happen. Now, I'm not telling you to go home and start uh, just start nagging him to death. Nobody ever went to heaven being nagged to death. Be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. Don't let the Lord... Put you in, don't let the world put you in that mold. Don't let that happen. I'm telling you, you say, well, Lee, I, you know, this, I think that may be for other people, it's not for me. That's why I'm preaching to you. Because it's coming, brother. It's coming to you. Whatever you do, it's coming to you in your circumstances where you've got to make a decision. A decision, you know, on one hand, you know it's going to go exactly against the Word of God to give to the Lord. And the decision over here is that got to stand up for Christ, and as you stand up for Christ, guess what's going to happen? It may cost you something. And so this morning, we're going to have a verse of invitation. And for some of you this morning who 